Well, today we are going to be continuing our lesson series on the doctrine of prayer. And, you know, over um, these last, this is the seventh lesson, and over these um, seven lessons, you know, we've been discussing and talking in regards to what prayer is, the mindset that we are to have in prayer, what gives us confidence in prayer, and now finally looking at the pattern of prayer that Jesus taught his disciples in the Lord's Prayer. So today we're going to be looking at that fifth petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, you know, before we, we, we look at this, I have a question. Have you ever stopped to consider what forgiveness actually is? You know, as I was preparing for this lesson, the question struck me, well, what is forgiveness? Now, I don't know about you, and it could just be me, but I don't think I've ever stopped to really think about what forgiveness actually means. I mean, we all know that we're called to forgive. And, you know, we all probably have an idea in our minds as it pertains to what forgiveness is. But, you know, to actually articulate a definition for forgiveness, if you're like me, you've probably never done that. So, you know, if we're going to be discussing forgiveness and understanding what God is teaching us, in this petition, it's a good idea that we have a clear understanding of what forgiveness actually means, what that word means. So one of the things that you know I like to do a lot of times whenever looking at definitions and see is to see, well, what what does the secular world think of this? Because we hear many humanists, many unbelievers talk about forgiveness. So clearly they have a definition as to what forgiveness means. So, you know, as I was doing my studying, I came across um, a, a, a website um, by the University of California, Berkeley. They have a website called the Greater Good Science Center. And in this, which is a website for, I guess, their psychologists, neuroscientists, and, and all of that, they define forgiveness as this. They say that forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. And then you have a person. His name is Fred Luskin. He is the director of the Stanford University Forgiveness Project. And he defines Forgiveness, a little bit more succinctly, he says, forgiveness is the ability to make peace with the word no. Now, he does continue to try to explain what he means here. He says that the essence of forgiveness is being resilient when things don't go your way, the way you want. To be at peace with no. Be at peace with what is. Be at peace with the vulnerability inherent in human life. Then you have to move forward and live your life without prejudice. And, you know, as I kept on looking and looking at many non-Christian definitions of this term forgiveness, what I saw was basically the same idea. You know, from a secular standpoint, from a humanist standpoint, forgiveness is something that is essentially and almost purely feelings-based. You're letting go of hurt feelings. 
and resentment. You're becoming at peace with things that just didn't go the way that you had hoped. Now, there's certainly in forgiveness, if we're going to look at this from a biblical standpoint, there are going to be feelings of resentment and bitterness that you do have to let go of. But that's not, the, that's not what forgiveness actually is. That's not what forgiveness is at its core. So setting aside kind of the, the humanist idea of forgiveness, you know, then I started to see, okay, well, let's look at this from a biblical standpoint. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, like in, in, in trying to find a, a definition, it was not easy to, to do. You know, there are many, even from, you know, dear brothers that we love, many articles, many places that talk about forgiveness, but it's very hard to actually find that definition for, for what the word actually is. Then I remembered, you know, and this is why we love this dictionary so much, Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And it gives a definition when you look at that as to what forgiveness is that is more in line with what the scriptures teach. So in the dictionary, they say it's the pardon of an offender by which he is considered and treated as not guilty. So definitely more in line with what we see in the scriptures. But then if you're like me, and you know, maybe it is just me, I start to think, well, what does it mean to pardon? Again, a word that you hear, but sometimes you don't really stop to think about, okay, what does this actually mean? Dictionary um, says this, to forgive to remit as an offense or crime. Guilt implies a being bound or subjected to censure, penalty or punishment. To pardon is to give up this obligation and release the offender. We apply the word to the crime or to the person. We pardon an offense when we remove it from the offender and consider him as not guilty. We pardon the offender when we release or absolve him from his liability to suffer punishment. Now, looking at that definition of pardon, and the definition of forgiveness that we see from this dictionary, I do believe that it brings us closer to a biblical idea of what the term actually means. Because when we commit an offense, there is a punishment due for that offense. Forgiveness involves the offended party choosing to not require the offender pay, for the, pay the price for the offense they committed. Not only that, Forgiveness involves choosing to not remember the offense committed and treating the offender as though they are not guilty. And, you know, I think it's important that if we're going to be, again, defining this term so that we can understand what Christ wants us to do, I think it's important that we look at the definition in this way for a number of reasons. One, there is a debt that we owe when we commit an offense. See, this is one of the issues that I have with that secular idea. There's no understanding in regards to an actual debt that is owed as a result of an offense. See, and it's not a coincidence that the Bible uses the language of debt as it pertains to sin. The Bible lets us know that for every sin we commit, there is a payment that is owed, and that payment Romans 6.23 is death. Now, being that we all have sinned and have not died, we owe a huge debt. We must pay with the penalty of death for each sin that we commit. In realizing the enormous price that sin requires, coupled with the inability for us to pay that price, 
and still live. Our only hope of escape for the coming bill due is for someone else to pay it on our behalf. That is what Jesus Christ did. God the Father placed our sins on him and Christ paid for our sins when he was nailed to the cross to die. Christ dying on the cross marked the completion of what he needed to do in order to deal with our debt. Him rising from the grave on the third day marked the end of the payment for our sins. With the payment of sin completed, God can now freely forgive a repentant sinner of their sins by charging their debt to the account of Christ. So when we define forgiveness, we don't want to forget the fact that there is a debt that is owed, that is being pardoned. But also, as I mentioned, there is the understanding of not remembering the offense as another element. Now, I did not say forgetting. I said not remembering. There is a massive difference between the two. Forgetting is passive. Not remembering is active. When you forget an offense that someone committed, you may not have forgiven them. You could just have bad memory. Choosing to not remember is an active act on the offended party's part. They are choosing to not dwell on the sins of another person. Jay Adams, who, before he passed away in 2020, was a Christian counselor, a nuthetic counselor and pastor. And he writes this in his book on forgiveness. He says, to not remember is simply a graphic way of saying, I will not bring up these matters to you or others in the future. I will bury them and not exhume the bones to beat you over the head with them. I will never use these sins against you. God himself tells us in Isaiah 43, verses 25, I, even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God doesn't forget. He can't forget because he's God. He's omniscient. But he can choose to not remember. So with that being said, if we were to define the term forgiveness, we can define it in this way. Forgiveness is an act whereby an offended party chooses to not require the offender pay the price for the offense they committed and to also promise to not remember the offense committed and to treat the offender as though they are not guilty. That's what forgiveness is. So, in understanding this term, forgiveness, now we see that in the Lord's Prayer, that fifth petition tells us to forget, we ask God to forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. So, <clears throat> excuse me, when we make our daily prayers to God, Christ is teaching us to ask God for forgiveness of our sins, which does raise an interesting question. We know that our sins have been dealt with by Christ, all of our sins, past, present, and future. Well, if all of our sins have been dealt with, why do we in our daily prayers have to continue to ask God for forgiveness if all of our sins have been completely forgiven already? Well, first and foremost, because it is important that we understand this, we need to affirm the fact that, again, our sins are once for all forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, when he writes, he says, When you are dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, 
having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So all of our sins, past, present, and future, are atoned for and forgiven. That being said, although we have been justified once for all times, we are being sanctified daily. God's will for our lives, never forget this in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, is our sanctification. It's to conform us into his image. It's to make us holy as he is holy. And as we are growing in sanctification, we will constantly be discovering sins that we haven't put to death, that we haven't mortified. We will constantly be confronted with sins that we still cling on to. We will constantly be confronted with sins that we commit many times unknowingly. When that happens, we go to God with a repentant heart and seeking forgiveness so that we may acknowledge the heinousness of that sin and to put to death that sin in our lives. So when you are daily asking God for forgiveness for sins that you committed, you are daily examining your life for sin. You are daily watching against temptation so that you don't fall into sin. When you are asking God for forgiveness each day, it quite frankly keeps you humble. I mean, I want you to think about the parable that Jesus gives the disciples in Luke 18, the tax collector and the Pharisee. I mean, do you remember how the Pharisee prayed? God, you know, I thank you. I thank you that I'm just this awesome person. You know, I tithe of everything I get. You know, I am not like this person over here. But, you know, you made me so good. God, aren't I just wonderful person? Now, do you think a person like that has ever one time asked God for forgiveness? A person who thinks in this way. See, when you have that type of mentality, as we see with the Pharisee, you aren't checking yourself for sins. You start to forget that you are a wretched sinner saved by grace. You start to forget what Paul says in Romans 11. That is not you who support the root, that is Christ, but the root supports you. When you're not daily seeking forgiveness from God, you forget how much you don't deserve the grace that has been given to you. You forget that you can easily fall astray and you become arrogant. So we ask God daily, forgive us our debts because of the fact that how often we do fall into sin and we still daily struggle and have to fight against sin in our lives. But then he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So let me first and foremost be clear here. We as believers, in the ultimate sense, we can't forgive a person's sin because we're not God and we can't impute their sins to to Christ. However, we can forgive them in a derivative sense. And basically what I mean is, When we forgive others, we are mimicking what God did for us when he forgave us our sins. And us mimicking that paints a picture for the offender of what forgiveness of sins by God truly looks like. Now, our hope is, especially if they are an unbeliever, that them experiencing this this incomplete 
imperfect forgiveness by an imperfect believer will draw them to Christ where they can experience complete forgiveness by a perfect redeemer. Now, another thing that's worth noting here, especially as, as because of how it's phrased here, you know, when Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, he is not saying that forgiveness is forgiving others is a prerequisite for God to forgive us. Rather, he is teaching that forgiving others is the fruit that is produced when a person is forgiven by God. A person who has experienced the overwhelming and abundant mercy of God and having God forgive them of their sins will have a heart that will be willing to forgive others of their sins towards them. If a person has not experienced God's mercy or they treat his mercy with contempt, they will not be forgiving people themselves. I think an example of this is a parable that Jesus gives the disciples in Mark or Matthew, excuse me, chapter 18. If you had your Bible, have your Bibles, turn to it. It's Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. And it says this, then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should be repaid. He should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So we see in this passage, we have a servant who owed the king 10,000 talents. Now, to to put that in perspective, because obviously we don't use this type of denomination for, for money anymore. One talent was equivalent to the wages of 15 years of labor, all right? One talent. This man owed 10,000 talents, which would be the equivalent to 150,000 years worth of labor. The man pleased with the king for patience in paying back what he owed. The king had compassion for the slave and forgave him the debt that he owed. However, that debt relief that he experienced did not translate Towards compassion on a person who owed him money. He finds a person who owes him a hundred denarii. Now, to put that in perspective, one denarius 
was equal to a day's wage. So 100 denarii was the equivalent to 100 days wage. So it, it's not a, you know, a small penny by any stretch of imagination. I think this is why God uses this example. Because 100 denarii is not by any stretch something that's insignificant. It's 100 days wages. But it's not 150,000 years worth of wages. And instead of being compassionate with his slave that did owe him a lot of money, he showed no compassion, no mercy. He did not do with the slave what the king did for him. Now, once the king found out what happened, he lambasts the slave for his lack of compassion and hands him over to the torturers to be tortured until he paid back what he owed. When Christ forgives you of your sins, understand that the amount of debt that you have as a result of those sins is beyond even the comparison that Jesus gives in this parable. It is impossible to completely pay off, which is why hell is eternal. If you truly grasp this, if you truly grasp how much you've been forgiven, of your sins. It does not matter how much someone else has sinned against you. Again, this is why Jesus used the example that he does here. Because so often, I even read it when I was um, from secular readers itself. There's always is a line to where in our modern culture, in our day and age, to where we say, okay, you do this and I'm not forgiving you. And Jesus says, no, that's not the case at all. Do you not understand your sins towards me? Do you not understand the amount of debt that you owed me? And now you're quibbling over the fact of this little debt in comparison to me? It doesn't matter how much someone else has sinned against you. You will be inclined to forgive them. There is no amount of sin a person can do to you that was as bad and as large as your sins to God. That is the point of that parable. And if you can understand that, then you can understand why God is angered by someone who refuses to forgive. You have no idea how deep in sin you truly were. You have no comprehension to how much in debt that you were. You knew that you had some debt, but you didn't think that much of it. You treated your debt as though it was nothing when it was a lot. And God says that if you will not forgive others, well, don't expect forgiveness from him. Matter of fact, right after Jesus teaches this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we see in Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15, this, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. It could not be any clearer. John Calvin, commenting on this, he says this. He writes, if we retain any hatred in our minds, if we meditate revenge and devise the means of hurting, nay, if we do not return to a good understanding with our enemies, perform every kind of friendly office and endeavor to effect a reconciliation with them, we, by this petition, beseech God not to grant us forgiveness. 
Matthew Henry, he even writes, he says, if we don't practice forgiveness, this petition becomes a curse to us. So, this is a very sobering reminder, brothers and sisters, as to why we must forgive. For us to desire that God not be merciful with others, even though we want him to be merciful with us, is selfish. It's wicked. And again, I've mentioned this. This attitude demonstrates a lack of understanding regarding the severity of one's own sins. If we truly understood our debt to God, we could not help but be forgiving of others that sin against us. So, seeking forgiveness from God daily and forgiving others regularly, it's no easy task. However, for the believer, it is something that we must do. When we pray to God, we ask that he forgive us our sins as a reminder to how frequently we still sin, even as redeemed believers. We also ask that he enable us to forgive others of their sins because they do pale in comparison to the sins we committed against God. In forgiving others, we are choosing to not require that the offender pay the price for the offense they committed towards us. And we are also promising to not remember the offense committed and to treat the offender as though they are not guilty. In a nutshell, when we forgive others, in particular unbelievers, we are helping them to see the beauty of the gospel and giving them a small taste of the abundant mercy that our God has for those who repent and turn to hell. So this concludes our lesson for today.